Take the guesswork out of your cannabis shopping with the ECS DNA kit by Endocana Health. If you take pride in your canna nerdiness or are just canna curious, this kit empowers you to find more about the best cannabis choices. Right now, you can save 25% off your DNA test at endodna.com using promo code POD25. Your purchase includes the Endo DNA Collection Kit, Endo Decoded Report, personalized cannabinoid and terpene suggestions, and Endo Align products matching in your state. There will also be suggested dosage guidelines and optimum methods for inhalation or usage. Once you know your personal ECS data, you can shop Endo supplements tailored specifically for you. And right now, Endo DNA is celebrating their new patent with a buy one, get one offer on their Afika soft gel lineup. And since I know that many of you struggle with sleep, I want to highlight Afika Unwind, created to support health sleep cycles using patented proprietary formulations of hemp-derived CBD, terpenes, and essential oils. If sleep is eluding you, sweet dreams are in your future. Buy one for yourself and get one for a friend at endodna.com. And don't forget promo code POD25 at the checkout for 25% off your DNA test kit. Welcome to the Canna Mom Show. Are you interested in hearing inspiring cannabis stories told by real women, moms, and caregivers who are breaking barriers and building businesses in the emerging cannabis industry? This is the podcast for you. I'm your host, Joyce Gerber. I'm a former family law attorney and mother of two, and I have been talking with women from coast to coast who are leaders in the revolution of cannabis and caregiving. And along with my Canna sister, realtor, cancer survivor, and mom, Amy Searles. Hello. Hey, Amy. Welcome back to the studio. <laughs> it's been a while. It's been quite a while. I know. Um, we're on a mission to empower women-centric cannabis businesses by sharing their stories and connecting them to you. Today's guest is a mother of four and has been a cannabis advocate for 20 years in central Kentucky. I'm calling her our Kentucky Canna Mom. <laughs> yeah. Her passion is education. I love it. And her business is CBD Wellness of Kentucky. Great. Yes. And like me, she has deep interest in local politics, and it was her relationship with a Kentucky politician that brought her into the hemp cannabis world. I'm looking forward to talking politics, parenting, and pot with today's <laughs> guest, Jennifer Davis of CBD Wellness in Kentucky. Welcome, Jennifer. Thank you. Welcome. So this is a little like late hours for Amy and me. We usually do this in the middle of the afternoon. Yeah. yeah. After hours <laughs> with the Canna Mom show. <laughs> and, and Amy's been up pretty you know, pretty early this morning, so we might be oh a little goofy, God. but... That's okay. 6.15 wake up call. Next thing, yeah. Oh um, you know how it is, kids. All right, so let's yep. just start. You know, we, we have talked. You um, said you started in 2004. You were working with a um, politician in Kentucky. Let's begin your cannabis story. Yeah, so um, in 2003 and 2004, um, I worked as a uh, as a voter registration chairperson for um, a man by the name of Gatewood Galbraith, who was running for governor at the time in Kentucky. And Gatewood, um, he's kind of a legend around here. He's been a very iconic character uh, since the 1960s in Kentucky and ran for office uh, several times. And the uh, the year that I worked on his campaign, he was running for governor, and part of his platform um, was he primarily wanted to legalize hemp for industrial purposes. Um, he was specifically looking at replacing uh, staple foods like corn and then also mm-hmm. um, turning hemp into biodiesel fuel. 
And so advanced. I mean, amazing, yeah. right? Yeah, he, he had been working on that for decades and was really pushing that flat platform again. Um, and, of course, he was always an advocate for cannabis as medicine as well. Um, but, you know, he was, and what, what, what people's reaction? At, I mean, we all think of, we're from Massachusetts. We have our own you know, political ideas. And what, well, how, was it, how was it taken in Kentucky? How did people talk about it? Um, you know, it was interesting because Gatewood had been around for so long. He had been a part of kind of the political activism uh, scene here in central Kentucky since the 1960s. So when I worked on his campaign in, you know, 2003 and 2004, you know, Gate would have been around for a long time. Uh, you know, people knew who he was, and to some people he was a joke. And to a lot of people, they, they <laughs> right. really could get behind him on more than just the cannabis issue because he really was a very reasonable man. Um, he had really, really good ideas and uh, wanted to make a lot of change and, and was really a lover of freedom. Um, and so, you know, he, it was interesting to, to run on his campaign because he attracted a variety of, of different people. You know, a lot of younger people were very drawn to him because of his ideas on cannabis. Um, but then a lot of older people were drawn to him because he was such a practical man. And how, do, how does this tie in? I always wonder, how does this tie in Kentucky with tobacco? Is that sort of a thing, a transition crop? Is that the people who are tobacco farmers looking at this now? Yes. Is that where they're heading? Yes. So, yeah. so now we have a lot of people growing um, hemp that used to be tobacco farmers, and they're using um, what they call the tobacco model, which is basically meaning that they're growing it almost exactly the way that they would grow tobacco. And it's, it's been a very good substitute um, for our farmers who have hurt so much over the last decade sure. or so. Um, and, it, and it's much better for the soil, isn't it? Or better for... That's right. Is that we, We're learning this. We, we're doing a, um, we do a show called Cannabis and Climate. So we're learning about soil. <laughs> right. And how hemp detoxifies the soil. You know, yeah. the funny thing about Kentucky, too, is that Kentucky has a really long history with cannabis. Um, a lot of people are really familiar nowadays um, with our history, in particular to industrial hemp. Um, but also uh, there's been some some big articles coming out here uh recently. I know High Times ran one here just a few weeks ago. Um, Kentucky oh was number one illegal grower last year in the United wow. States of cannabis. <laughs> Bigger than California? Yes, that was actually the headline that um, High Times ran. Is they said, congratulations, Kentucky, you beat California. Um, and what? that's not unusual for Kentucky. A lot of people don't realize that, that Kentucky usually falls in the top three. Um, right, I think that'll be news for like not just us, but like everybody listening. That's a what's yeah, a, that's news. That's an interesting like statistics because we think and I, we talked about this this morning actually when I talked to you. How I think um, cannabis is that one thing in politics that people can kind of agree on. You know, right. <laughs> the idea that right. You know, and that's one thing that we you know are still talking to our legislators about is that. Um, legalizing here in Kentucky for medical and or uh, adult, but it wouldn't bring cannabis to our state. <laughs> it's already here. So what it would do is just transition us into a into a white market. Yes, that's interesting. Yes. All right, so let's talk. Oh, so you so you were the politician, and uh, so when you were doing with that, were you was this something that you were um, consuming? Were you a cannabis user? Were you using CBD? Did you know what CBD was? How did you transition to where you are now? Yeah, so, you know, when I was working on the campaign in 2003 and 2004, um, I, I was consuming at the time, but obviously I was not consuming CBD because we didn't have that then. Um, we didn't, at least we were, un we were unaware of it at that time. So, yeah, the, the transition into working kind of in the CBD phase started for me um, about two 
two and a half years ago. And um, really what prompted that was kind of serendipity. Um, I, I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. And yeah, there's, there's, so, there's such a common story from like, the women I hear, these advocates, that they have discovered this on their own from something that, you know, they had an illness or they had something that wasn't working right in their body. So how did you find that transition? How did you figure that out? Um, you know, I've, since I've always been an advocate for cannabis and I have been a user off and on since my teenage years, um, I was always mm-hmm. aware of the medicinal benefits of the plant because I had experienced that myself. Um, but around the two and a half years ago, you know, I started looking, just kind of diving into the Internet, like what are some natural alternative um you know, treatments for things like rheumatoid arthritis. And once you start looking up arthritis, you'll immediately start finding cannabis come up very, very often. Mm-hmm. Um, because can, you, can you just explain why that, why that is, why that's true, the way that works in your body? Can you explain that? Yeah, well, sure. one, one of the <laughs> yeah, yeah. Things, well, you know, I think a lot of it has to do with the pain modulation. So one reason yeah. that I know personally and a lot of what I've read is that, you know, cannabis works in our body for things like rheumatoid arthritis to give us relief because the THC molecule is going to give us reduction in pain. Um, right. And so mm-hmm. that's why, you know, we want to always be pushing to have higher THC or at least available mm-hmm. amounts in our states yeah. that are reasonable to help with pain management. Um, but then when you kind of have CBD enter the scene, um, then we start to realize that, oh, wait a minute, if we consume CBD regularly, um, especially when we get into, you know, where it's a very concentrated amount, then it starts to combat inflammation in the body. And for people who suffer from arthritis, you know, inflammation is 60 to 70% of the problem. Um, you know, it's kind of like, what came first, the chicken or the egg? I mean, you know, you have the pain, but a lot of times the pain is being pushed by the inflammation. Does that work with Amanda Ananda Hemp? Is that the product that you're selling or is that a... Yes. I, I wasn't sure what... Yes, so okay. that's the product that we sell. And um, we actually got introduced to them um, right around the time that I got diagnosed with arthritis. And that's why I say it was kind of serendipity. Um, you know, I tell people it was serendipity. I think that, you know, I think God had something to do with it. It was just kind of mm-hmm. like these worlds collided for me at the same time. And at the I same time it. I was mm-hmm. looking for alternative mm-hmm. options, we got invited to come and tour their their farm at Ananda Hemp. And, and where's that? Where's the Ananda Hemp It's in Cynthiana, in Cynthiana, Kentucky, which is still considered okay. central Kentucky. It's, it's about 30 to 45 minutes from where I live. Um, okay. And then going out. So it's an actual place. Is it an Ananda Hemp? Is it a type of hemp or is it a place? No, or is it, it, a, it is the brand. The, oh, it's the brand. Okay. It right. is the brand. So it's a hemp yes. grown in Kentucky. Okay. I got it. I'm on board. <laughs> late, a late I mean, night. Go out and meet the company and meet yeah. the owners and um, meet mm-hmm. the farmers. Um, you know, they were so great about educating us just right off the bat and equipping us with all of these tools. And I'm so fortunate now, mm. looking back on it, because, you know, they were teaching me to ask for certificate of analysis two and a half years ago, you know, were, two and a half years ago, they were ago, training you the right way. Nobody yeah. else was totally. offering this, you know? Um, and mm-hmm. so I was so fortunate to have met this company, you know, initially and, and been able to offer a quality product. And so it is the only thing that I offer at my store because I have not been able to find anyone who can meet the criteria that, that I have now because of they've created an expectation. Um, you know, they've done such a good job on their quality and their transparency that now, you know, I have a long list of companies whenever they want me to try their product or sell their product. And unfortunately, we haven't found a single other company who will meet that criteria. Well, you're there. So, and I know that you do. So with your, um, 
you were talking a little bit, but you do some yoga, you do education that you are, you know, reaching to your community. So how did you actually reach out and who showed up and were you surprised at who showed an interest in what you are selling or um, talking about it? Yeah. So yeah, we, once we had used um, the oil ourselves in my family for several months, we decided that we would start offering it to my yoga students because I was teaching yoga. And we, I came up with this class that was called Yoga and CBD. And um, we were we were just basically introducing CBD into the yoga practice. And we were giving people some oil to try yeah. in the middle of the practice. Um, That's so smart. Yeah. yeah I love was, the combo. It really cool. It makes sense. And we were so excited yeah. about it. And, you know, we had a lot of people come. But we kept finding that most of the people who came, they just wanted to know about the CBD. <laughs> they really didn't want yeah. yeah. the yoga. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and so I said, okay, you we're going to separate this. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> um, because we were having people show up who were very uncomfortable because they were like, I really don't want to do the yoga. Can I just sit here? Um, and oh, so we started separating the classes. And um, I started teaching that's cannabis funny. education yeah. classes. Um, and so we started advertising the cannabis education classes and we started doing those monthly. And we were offering them free to the community. And we were just really overwhelmed by the response. And we were also kind of surprised at the demographic. Um, we, Tell me about the demographics. Oh, yeah. yeah. Who did, you, who did you think would show up and who did show up? Yeah, so we thought that we would get a lot of young people. Um, we thought we would get, yeah. like, a lot of long hair, tada, um, you know, and that nope. kind of deal. And we didn't get that at all. Instead, you know, no. the first few months that I did it, I was like, oh, my goodness. I'd look outside and the parking lot would be full of Mercedes and BMWs. And like, <laughs> yeah. um, so we had a lot of women coming in. Of Almost. course, we talk about this oh, yeah. all the yeah, time, how we, we we can use it the best and we know the least. So we love having women like you talk about it in a smart way. Yes, yeah, absolutely. You, you know, every now and again, yeah. a husband would get dragged along, but for the most part, it was all women. Um, and most yep. of them, you know, were in the range of at least 45 years of age plus. Um, and so, and, you know, we were having women come, you know, that were even into their 70s and 80s. So um, it was very, very they have the pain, right? right. They, they're they the, need it the most, <laughs> suffering, right. and they're the most resistant. Oh yeah, absolutely, the yeah. most resistant. Yeah, yeah definitely. So, so is this tied into your cannabis studies, or is that something separate, Jennifer? Yeah, so that kind of became later, but yeah. So we started, okay. we started working with, um, we started offering these classes, and because of the demographic that was coming, um, it was actually a really good fit for me. Um, because I've always been like an old soul. Um, I've always been really, really close to my grandparents and my parents. Oh, sweet. Um, yeah. And so having this age group that was coming, um, you know, there were 20, 30, you know, not everybody, but uh, quite a few of them with, you know, old enough to be my parents and even my grandparents. And it's a really, really good demographic for me to work with because I work so well with that demographic and because they wanted answers and they came to the right mm-hmm. place because I, I'm a woman yeah. of a lot of integrity. Um, I, mm-hmm. I've lived and grown up in the same neighborhood that I still live in now. Um, and, you wow. know, I live in Lexington. It's, it's a it's a fairly large city for Kentucky, but it's still a really small world, you know. And it's always been so important to me to make sure and get the correct information to my community. Um, it was, you know, pardon my French, but it was always important to me not to be a bullshitter. I didn't want people to Beautiful. come in yeah. and leave and go, okay, she's selling snake oil, and she totally just bullshitted me. Um, yeah, so that's oh, a, yeah. because not the issue with CBD. There are so many bad products out there. I think we literally say this every show. Don't buy your CBD in a gas station. <laughs> yeah. Know who you're getting your products are, you know, and, and the idea that 
CBD really does work, but if you're going to get it from a bad source, it's not going to work, and then you're not going to be able to experience it, and you're not going to believe in it. Right. So having people like you as ambassadors is so important, especially for communities who um, have such a prejudice against what this could even be, and and you seem to be able to make that bridge. That's a good, that's awesome. Yeah, it was a really good, and you know, and also too is that the the thing a lot of people don't realize is that not only will a bad product not work, but a bad product could potentially harm you um, and cause you health problems. And that's what a lot of people are not realizing. Um, And Mm -hmm. so I feel like, you know, it it was a very good way for me to bridge that gap. And in doing so, I started to realize that it was also a really good way for me to kind of get back into cannabis advocacy because it was just naturally happening. Because once people were coming in and and I was educating them, so I was very really clear with them that we would reach a glass ceiling with CBD, that we could get to a certain point. But when we're talking about certain true. levels totally, of pain yeah. or certain conditions, we have to have more THC. And so I feel like I've done a lot of legwork here in Central Kentucky with an older community of folks who go out and vote and are willing to call their legislators. Smart <laughs> um, yeah. politics. Because now, you know, people who grew up under the Prohibition era so they come in and I educate them, and now they're going, what number do I call? Because I want medical marijuana, and when it happens, I'm going to come back to you, and you're going to sign me up for that, right? <laughs> That's beautiful. That, well, I guess how you know, I, I love local politics. I do talk about this all the time. I uh, I live in Cambridge. I ran for a school committee seat, and I, I, I live in the house that Tip O'Neill, the former speaker of the house, lived in. So I have this whole, like, philosophy about, you know, local politics is so important. Yes. Really, it's just like how we change minds and hearts is that yes. people know an individual who's experiencing something and they can see you and they're not, you're not an enemy. And the idea right. that you can open that up, it's, I mean, it's good for you because yes. you're being able to be transparent, but it's so good for the people who are accepting your message. Right. Yes, it is. Yeah, so, um, so you know, I've done, I've done those classes for about two years for the community and about to eight months ago, you know, we started having quite a few younger people who would come to us and say, I want to be in this space. I want to be in this industry. I want to do this. I want to do what you're doing. I want to do something in cannabis, but I don't know what. Can you teach me yep. what you know? <laughs> That's a mantra. I know. <laughs> That's the story <laughs> of my life. Time, right? And so, and you know, it's like, you know, can you teach me everything you know? And I'm like, no, I can't. <laughs> um, no. So what we, we decided is that we were going to start offering a training curriculum um, because not only are people in Kentucky wanting to enter that space, but we really have a lot of people in the space. Because mm-hmm. we are doing so much growing right now of hemp, and we've had some very large out-of-state companies come into Kentucky, you know, business is really booming here for the hemp industry. It's, it's still, you know, we're that's still a, that's a good like, message. five yeah. years, four years in. Um, you know, 2014, mm-hmm. people were growing by 2050. So we're like five years in now. Um, right. But it's still, you know, in its infancy. We're still trying to set up a lot of infrastructure. And what we started noticing is that a lot of businesses, you know, the people that they were hiring to represent them, they really didn't know much about the plant at all. Um, exactly. And, they, and they're representing it. Again, ambassadors, yes. like bud tenders at the right. dispensaries. Absolutely. Yep. Mm-hmm. And not only do they not know the plant, you know, they don't know how to work it in the body. They don't know about delivery methods. And they don't know a lot of the nuances um, because a lot of them have not been advocates. 
You know, a lot of them are right. just fresh out of college, and I've got a marketing degree, and oh, this looks like a cool yep. job. And they're just salespeople. Yeah. Right. They're just salespeople. We, we realize that there, there is a very big need here in Kentucky and in other states around us, um, and I think just in the whole country in general, um, for very structured education and training. And so we started writing curriculum to do that, and then we teamed up with Emma Chasen from Eminent Consulting, uh, who's based out of Oregon. And she okay. is amazing. And um, she has helped us with some supplementation material. And we have our training program, which is called Canna Studies. Canna Studies. Oh, that's org. What... Yeah. Right. And that's, uh, that's, that's fabulous. Because that is so, I mean, you know, we say this out here, like the dispensaries, you know, it depends on the company that owns them, how well the bud tenders are getting trained, but they are making, they're helping you make a medical decision. Right. Right. About a product that they should really know, you know, inside and out. And, you know, no one's an expert, but they should be up to speed. And training program it's so important and you know, there's so many there's so many aspects to this business, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And making sure that people know um up to date information. So how are you keeping it um current and I mean every day, you know, how many things do you read about C B D and cannabis and how are you keeping your studies up to date? So right now our first trainings uh our first trainings will come through next month. So we have okay. just finished finalizing our training manual. So we feel like what we have right now is ready to go, um, but Good. we have, you know, we have had to keep in mind that we will need our curriculum to be very fluid, um, especially in regards to things like compliancy, um, and also because compliancy is different for each state, and sometimes even mm-hmm. for different yeah. cities within the state. Um, yes, but, you know, I really <laughs> constantly uh, pour over anything that I can, um, and I'll be honest with you. One thing I've done for years now is that if I'm reading something about cannabis and I read something that is incorrect and I know that it is, I give them, I give them a pass. But if I get to about the third thing that is, is inconsistent or inaccurate, I just simply stop reading it because I realize that I'm Smart. wasting my time. Because I've seen some very beautiful books and different things come out this year that I've been so excited to go grab. And then, you know, within yeah. a chapter or two, I'm like, they don't even know what they're talking about. So nope. I'm, I'm trying to be very frustrating. careful I know. in what I, what I you know, spend my time learning. And recently, I have been trying to listen to a lot of podcasts. Um, it's a little bit easier with my lifestyle to do that. Oh, great. I think that's so, <laughs> I, um, so I, I mean, we talk about this. I say I like to be the Terry Gross of cannabis. You know, I'm pretty serious. <laughs> there are a lot of podcasts out there. There are people who are consuming yeah. and talking about um, products in different ways. You know, there's a pretty wide range of people, how they talk about this business now. I mean, the investment part of cannabis is so booming. Right. Uh, the cultivation. I mean, there could be a whole channel just about cultivation of cannabis right. and the people yeah. who are really into it. I mean, I don't really understand it. I've been encouraged to grow something, but I can't even grow a plant. <laughs> So I'm not. I'm not yeah, trying. Oh, I want to try. Amy <laughs> wants to try. We're, we're gonna do it. Yeah. We'll do it together. All right. So let's. See. Um, right, so your community, your business. We talked about that. Do you want to talk about um? Just kind of shifting gears. Mid South Hemp Fest in Memphis. Yes. What is that? So, yes. Um, I, I'm, it's kind of a long story, so I'm not gonna go through how I got hooked up with this deal. But um, last okay. year I went to Memphis, which is about eight to nine hours away from where I live, down in Memphis, Tennessee. And I went down there just kind of on a whim. Um, I was invited to come and be a speaker in their educational tent. And nice. I went, and I was absolutely blown away because oh, yeah. mm-hmm. literally <laughs> one man with a couple of volunteers had successfully pulled off, not even planning to, <laughs> had successfully pulled off the largest cannabis event that the South had ever seen for consumers. So was it a consumer-to-consumer, consumer, business-to-consumer? 
It was it? a little bit of both. It was the, okay. the, the mission behind doing it is to bring education and advocacy to the community and specifically to the Mid-South. Um, but Smart. what happened yep. was that there was over 100 vendors. So because there were so many vendors, there was a lot of business-to-business marketing and education going on. And it was just a tremendous experience. So um, I ended up working with the guy for a, a month or two. His name is Lee Ott, and he is the president at the Mid-South Hemp Fest. And he asked me to come on board um, to his board of directors. And so now I serve as the secretary on the board of directors. And I'm okay. also serving as the educational coordinator. And this year, wow. I'm working on getting all the speakers lined up for uh, for the festival. And this year, it will actually be two days instead of one. Ooh. And oh, we should go to that, Joyce. So can, can you tell you? <laughs> yeah. all right, every time, we've been to Vegas. We've been, <laughs> we, we, have, we have no travel budget. But, <laughs> but we're meeting it. So can you tell me, talk, talk about, so Joyce, you're booking the speakers. I've been to a lot of these. Just want to give an example for my listeners, like of the type of people who are speaking at these events and what they're talking about. Yeah, we have a really large variety of speakers so far. You know, we're still a few months out. The festival is in April. Um, We are going to have some representatives coming from a lab to talk about lab testing. There is a very nice restaurant in Tennessee that sells CBD and hemp-based foods, and they are going to come and talk about hemp as nutrition and what it means to put CBD in food, but also we're going to talk a lot about the protein that's found in hemp and why it's good to Mm -hmm. eat it. Um, We are going to have a lady who is going to be talking about juicing CBD flower, which is I love really that idea. Cool. Yeah, I love they, they're, they're allowed to have CBD flower in uh, Tennessee. So, um, mm, and then we also CBD have okay. a couple of speakers who are going to come and talk about advocacy in history and in the present sense. And uh, one of those mm. speakers is going to be referring to the South, and one of those speakers will be referring kind of to the United States in general. Um, we also have a speaker who's going to be coming and talking about how cannabis can be very useful for athletes and mm-hmm. implementing that oh, into yeah. to their regimen. What is the status of cannabis in Kentucky? I don't even actually know. So obviously, hemp is legal because that's a farm bill. Right. But what's the next status? Yes. Yeah, so right now, um, we are pushing really, really hard for House Bill 136 to pass. And House Bill 136 would be our medical marijuana uh, bill. And okay. it, it, we had this thing bill last year, and they basically bounced it to the House Judiciary Committee. Um, I think they sent it there hoping that it would go there and die, and it did not go there mm-hmm. and die. It actually went there and passed um, almost nice. unanimously out of the Judiciary Committee, but they ran out of time, so the House never got to vote on it. So right. this year, they have really rekindled those efforts with the same bill. And so far, it's looking really hopeful, um, and I, I feel like it's going to happen for Kentucky. Um, there is some there are some issues with Kentucky legalizing um, even medical marijuana that a lot of folks uh, don't think about, and a lot of that has to do with our very large hemp growing business, um, and a lot of that also has to do with our very large legal growing <laughs> that we have here. Right. Um, so you know, Kentucky yeah. has some Kentucky has some some scenarios very similar actually to California and so it is going to be very important that Kentucky is careful in how they regulate and legislate um, going forward as we start to legalize into medical and then hopefully eventually adult use. And now you're involved so we have talked to like people from California and Colorado so we've talked about the differences and you can see the differences in terms of like how things rolled out. Mm -hmm. Massachusetts were like slow as molasses. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's how Kentucky totally. is. Yeah. You know, we've been in Nevada. It's like, you know, neon lit up. Every, right. It's everywhere. It's, just, it's a whole different. It's a whole different. It's like, you know, it's like really the cannabis industry is like the state. Um, so how do you what do you picture for the best path forward for Kentucky? Do you think it's going to be a slow rollout of medicinal? Do you think it's going to be a seed to sale um, model? Do you think it's going to be something unique? And do you see a way to tap out the illicit market? I mean, that's been the issue in California. Is that discussed how you kind of transition or tap out the illicit market and transition in? Right. And you know, that, yeah. that is something that I have a lot of fear about for Kentucky, um, because I do actually keep up with quite a bit of what's going on in California. And um, because I kind of understand that dichotomy of what Kentucky would experience as well, because because Kentucky has such a long history of illegal growing, it's what makes it very similar yeah. to California. So there would have to right. be an incentive for people then to leave the black market and enter into the white market. Um, one of the things that, you know, we have, we have a, a lot of problems here with the opioid epidemic. So yes. it is pulling down, I think, a lot of times now with legislators that, you know, we just start looking at dollars. I mean, you just start looking at money. Um, I, I do think that law enforcement has already sort of started to get on board with that. And now um, I think legislators are forced to because at the end of the day, they're looking and realizing that we don't have enough money or manpower to combat the opioid epidemic, let alone yeah. to try to combat cannabis growing when there's a significant body of people, especially people in the baby boomer you know, age bracket, who are for legalization. So it's like, yes. why, are, you know, why will we keep spending millions and millions of dollars extracting illegal plants when we could transition right. that over and create revenue off of that? That's what I always say about America. Like, I'm like, I don't understand this. Like, the one thing we do well here is make money. Like, I don't understand why the banks, I don't understand why we haven't moved faster. And and especially the idea, like, someone like Mitch McConnell in the Senate, for whatever reason, like, he's obviously supporting the Kentucky programs. Like, he sees it's happening. He knows the banks need to be freed up. Right. Um, And then, you know, Elizabeth Warren in Massachusetts. You know, these are two pretty uh, directly opposite personalities. But I think they can agree on the idea that we want our industries to be regulated. We like, do. Yes. <laughs> and we want banks to be able to, like, work with us in a way that doesn't scare them. Like, right. You know, that we're money laundering or whatever they think is happening. <laughs> right. You know, you know so, um, yeah, this and, is the thing you know, that frustrates me endlessly. I think the path forward, I, you know, my, I, I don't know that this is the path Kentucky will take, but the path forward that I hope Kentucky does is that I hope that legislators do take a hard look. Um, one thing that's an advantage for us is that there is so many other states who have legalized. So we have a lot of examples, you know, to look at and see what kind of program have they done there and what has been the positive things from that and what have been the consequences from that. And, I agree. That's the beauty of the states. That's the idea. That's the beauty of having states, right? Right. And that, yeah. And that's the beauty of kind of coming to it late in the game. Yeah. Um, and I hope that yeah. Kentucky does take a really hard look at some of these states and, and kind of looks at their programs. I think that it's going to mean that Kentucky is going to have to not tax everything so heavily. I think that's a, that's the lesson from California. We know there's going to be a big demand of buyers, so we don't need to put such a high tax uh, amount on it. Um, and we need to set up incentives. For people to transition out of the black market. Um, yeah, that's been the big. I've heard because I've heard stories out in California, like people who want to transition. It's been so hard because their processes are not tight as maybe the regulators want everything to be. You know, right. really regulating from seed to sale, and it is a very difficult transition for people who have been much, uh, I guess, looser about how they grow their product. Right. Um, so yeah, the how do you train people, or how do you bring people into the market, or how do you 
use their land. I, I don't know. There's got to be, I'm sure there's smarter people out there than me thinking about this, but <laughs> there's got to be a way to like bring people in, right? The funny thing about California, and this is what, this is what kind of scares me so much, and, and you know, definitely don't want to offend anyone, but, but the funny thing to me about California is that when, when I read a lot and look a lot, and, and I under, I personally understand the compare the comparisons that Kentucky has to California in regards to our long history of the, with the plant and growing and cultivating the plant. Um, right. But I really hope that when Kentucky goes, even just to medical, that we don't do anything like the state of California is doing. Um, they have just Good. really made a shit show out of their entire program. And, you know, I've, I've talked to people online several times who have really attacked me as, for being a cannabis advocate because they are living in parts of Southern California. Um, that mm-hmm. is now just burning with uh, indoor growing. And they're saying, yeah. you don't understand what this is doing to our community. Um, you know, this is, we, we can't even go outside. The smell is so bad. Oh, really? <laughs> the smell is so bad? What? And, you know, I started looking into that, and it's true. You know, and I think, I would like to think that in Kentucky, because we have always been such a large agricultural state, um, we do yeah. still have a lot of rural areas. I would like to think that Kentucky would have more sense than to allow people to set up indoor or outdoor growing in cities, you know, inside of, of large cities, you know, next to churches, next to school buildings, um, in places where it's going to impact people. You know, it it is not intended to be grown in urban areas. And in places like California and Kentucky, you know, it's not necessary that we grow it indoors. Um, yeah, I think it's going to it's gonna be interesting when it's, I mean, when it is nationally, federally, when it's legal and we can cross state lines, you know, it is probably not, it's going to be a natural, um, Kentucky will be one of the big growers, you know, because it's no. not really great to grow in Massachusetts. No. I mean, <laughs> no. You know, at some point this will normalize. Yeah. The problem is it too that I really hope the legislators of Kentucky take into account is that, you know, if we start allowing even medical growing, um, we are going to have to be very careful about a map of who can grow what where. Because, you know, we have so many people growing hemp right now. And so many of them, it's like their first season. It's their first harvest. And they've they literally, you know, put the farm on this. You know, like it's the old thing. Well, they yes. set the farm on this. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, the last thing we want is to bring in plants with higher THC levels and then them cross-pollinate. And all of a sudden, the hemp farmers are testing over the legal limits. Because yeah, I've actually heard this just is a, because we that, bring this in medical marijuana doesn't mean that we don't still need hemp. We absolutely yeah. still need hemp. Well, hemp. Right. It could all coexist and thrive. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. And, hemp's and gonna... everyone can make money. I, mean, <laughs> I don't right. understand. It could really help rebuild cities. Yes. States. Clean our infrastructure. soil. Infrastructure. I mean... Plastic be replaced by hemp. save the world. Yes, we talk about... Okay, so oh, before God. we go on to our high horse, we have a couple more topics. <laughs> <laughs> All right, a couple more minutes. So I did want to talk... You know, we always do talk about um, parenting and cannabis. I know that you have, um, you have four children, a pretty range in age, and that uh, you do... Uh, do you incorporate into your own life? Do you incorporate into their life? How do you incorporate or talk about cannabis and CBD with when your children who range in age from two or three to 20? You have a pretty big range. Right, we do. We have three so boys a lot of conversations. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. So um, because of the last couple of years, um, with especially once I started teaching the community education classes on cannabis, um, you know, this is a topic that is, is brought up in my house almost daily. And my yeah. children have become very familiar with cannabis. And my children, if they hear you say the word marijuana or even hemp, they'll be very quick to 
tell you that the word is cannabis, and that is what should be used. <laughs> really? Um, I love that. Good for you. They That's can, cool. they can yeah, tell yeah, yeah. You, you know, they know some of the cannabinoids. They know, um, you know, they know wow. a lot about it because they've heard me. They go to work with me quite a bit, so they hear me talking to customers. Um, it's normal. They, yes, it's very it's normal. normal in yeah. our household. Um, now, because we still live in a state that is under prohibition, it makes the conversation of recreational use difficult. Um more so mm. with like our teenager, um, because True. well, every conversation with a teenager is hard. It's right, it is. <laughs> it is hard. Um, and, you know, I have told them before that if my children had a medical condition that I felt like they would be, you know, greatly benefited from, then it would be a different conversation. You know, we would even leave sure. the, leave the state if we had to. But my children mm. are not in that position, um, and so <clears throat> we basically talk to the children often about how that just because governments decide for us what is right and what is wrong and what is in our best interest and what is moral does not mean that that is, in fact, true. And that regardless of what the situation is, if it's cannabis or it's racism or, you know, segregation, it doesn't matter. Whatever it is, we have to decide that for ourselves by becoming educated on that particular topic and by looking to ourselves and our family and our tribe to kind of absorb, like, what do I believe about this? Mm-hmm. But we do have right. to teach the children that, you know, we don't want to break the law and we don't want to ever encourage them to end up in jail or prison over something that is illegal. <laughs> um, right. And so, but we do have the conversation with them um, and it's been very beneficial to us through this whole vape crisis. Um, because oh, but I say this, I, I say this every like, my, yeah, I, I wouldn't know my children right. doing that. Yeah. I don't worry about my children yeah. using an illegal vape yep. because my children can tell you exactly why you shouldn't. <laughs> exactly, because, yep. because it's transparent and you're open. That, that's what they would tell you. You have not seen a COA on that cartridge. You have no idea what it is. <laughs> you can and then they'll get down to the chirpies. That my God, yeah, that's yeah. impressive. All right, so you're like, cause I actually just read something today that a very low percentage of people who even work in the cannabis industry are talking with their kids about this. So I was actually surprised. So it's good to hear that you're out there, you're educating other people and your own children. That's important. Yes. <laughs> and I do encourage other people to do that as well. And I have actually had a couple of customers who have asked me if they could bring their teenagers to me. Of course, they stayed with them um, and, and asked me if I would educate them um, on the plan, oh, on nice. delivery yeah. methods, and on the risks particularly of the vape cartridges. Um, and so and I encourage other parents to do that. You know, obviously, it's always up to a parent what they choose at the right time or what discussion matter they think is appropriate for their children. Um, but I encourage uh, my customers, my kids, very often that, you know, this is a conversation you should have because bear in mind, it will not always be under prohibition. <laughs> so it's a That's good right. time to have the conversation. Um, and it, mm-hmm. and it's, it's a very good teaching lesson for them on all kinds of things, like, you know, by not being oppressed by our government. <laughs> you know, it, it kind of feeds into all of these other, um, you know, ideas about how we should be free and we should never be oppressed by our government. Um, and the idea and, and morality and biology. I mean, yeah. that's the other thing about this this plant is that, you know, we talk about it as a moral issue, but it's not a moral issue. No. And, it, it, you know, it's you know how this it works with people's bodies. This is, you know, it's always been part of our history. We live we live in the anomaly in history. Right. You know, it's 100 years of it not existing. And now we're trying to bring it back with smart discussions and a, a more scientific understanding of what it even does, which is even more impressive. And the idea that it can such good things for the earth. I mean, the hemp right. alone. So. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, and, Which is not anything I ever talked about. We just talked about stoners and Chi Chi Chong growing up. I thought you smoked right. pot and you like sat on a right. couch and ate Cheetos. Right. Yeah. 
I did. Well, and I think it's very important for, um, you know, children and teenagers to be learning that right now, even in states like mine that are still under prohibition. Because, you know, when we finally get our medical bill, you know, I don't want my children to be looking at my 88-year-old grandmother, who we will be signing up as soon as it passes. (laughs) I don't want them to look at her and say, oh, gosh. Granny's getting high. Oh, (laughs) she must be a hippie. Well, she might go to jail. Well, she's a dirty person. You know, I feel like by educating them, it's preparing them what's going to look like in the next couple of years so that they can Mm -hmm. understand when they start to see maybe my parents or my grandparents or other people Mm -hmm. in our community who are consuming and not look at them like, oh, you're doing something bad. But instead, I would like for them to look at them and go, I'm so glad that we have this safer alternative than yes. opioids. Mm-hmm. Correct. <laughs> and yeah, and that we're we're crushing that shame. Like we talk about this a lot that we don't mm-hmm. even like if you grew up under prohibition, you don't even understand why there is shame, but you know that there is. There is. Like they, <laughs> automatic. Right. You're yeah. brought up that it's a problem. You shouldn't use it. Yeah. It's a gateway drug. It'll make you You're going to be lazy, stupid. Yeah. And it stunts your emotional growth. Yeah. I mean, I heard it all. I mean, my I've heard it all, yeah. and then and then Everything and then negative. and then so that which is basically like you know nullifying your own personal experience. I mean that's a very hard way to live when you're like I think it actually is taking the pain away. I think my anxiety is gone, but you're being told your whole life that this is something so dangerous it's going to kill brain cells. So, right, right, uh, it makes you lazy. It's a, yeah, <laughs> and that's not you know the women I'm talking to are not lazy in any way, shape, or form. Do you want to do a favorite thing? Not at all. Yeah. Sure, I'll all do right, a favorite so, so Jennifer, thing. so I just want um usually at the end of our episodes we do like a quick little um Amy does a favorite thing okay. of what's going on the week and then we do a little wrap up. Okay. Okay, perfect. Okay, so this is Amy's favorite thing this Woo-hoo. week. Okay, so my favorite thing for this week has to be Snoop Dogg's visit Woo! to our little yes our little local dispensary in Uxbridge, Massachusetts yesterday for a special meet and greet with fans, uh. and he got to tour the facility and. Um, he got there, I heard he got there around 5. He was supposed yeah. to get there around 4. Uh, <laughs> and he stayed until after 6. And it looked like so much fun. He was spinning some tunes and everyone was dancing. And this place is really, Caroline's is literally like in the middle of the state. This is not. It's nowhere. This is like, a, this is like rural Massachusetts. <laughs> yeah. So for him to do that was like, and she's the first, it's a female-owned dispensary mm-hmm. in the state of Massachusetts. Yep. Um, so she's, you know, and she's just, she, it's just her. She's not a big conglomerate. She's doing mm-hmm. her thing, and she's changed, like you, in her small community, she's changing the dynamics, and she got Snoop. That's visitor. right. So and jealous. one of her, I know, one of her. <laughs> Maybe I'll visit you. One of her customers <laughs> uh, set this up, so it was so how lucky, right? And that's our shout out to Snoop Dogg uh, and Caroline. We love you, Snoop Dogg and Caroline uh, in Oxford, Massachusetts. I know. Congrats to her. Yeah, yeah I know. Her. We need to take a little road trip. I was ready to go yesterday, but yeah, I just she really was. Do she it. texted me. All right, so Jennifer, I can't believe our <laughs> time is just about up. <laughs> this is really fun. Thank this you for calling. I know it took a long time to get you on the show. That's okay. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> but it's totally worth it. So Definitely. for my guest today, Jennifer Davis of CBD Wellness of Kentucky, if my Listeners want to get in touch with you. What's the best way? There's a couple of ways. So if people would like to get in touch with me to know more about CBD or purchasing CBD, they can visit my website, which is cbdwellnessofky.com. And if anyone is interested in our training program, either just for themselves or if you own a business and would like to implement it into your training of employees, 
can go to canastudies.org and check out the information there. And I can be contacted through both of those websites as well. Those uh, emails come directly to me. And we'll put that into the show notes. So for my Canna sister, Amy Searles, I want to thank the Podcast Garage right here in Alston, Massachusetts. Josh Lamping for writing and performing the Canna Mom theme music. Our new podcast partner, Pod 617 Podcast, Podcast, the Boston Podcast Network. Check them out. Yeah. Our business team, Kelly Dolan and Laurie Lennon. Our attorney, Kim Kramer of McLean Middleton. And I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to the Cannamom Show, where we are integrating cannabis into our lives, changing the narrative around cannabis and caregiving, and empowering women-centric cannabis businesses, one can of story at a time. I'm Amy Searles. Please follow us on social media at The Cannamom Show and our website at thecannamomshow.com and subscribe anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. We'll be there. We'll be there. And I'm your host, Joyce Gerber, and this is another episode of The Cannamom Show. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, my name is Kira Reed, and I'd like to invite you to be inspired by the women who are leading in the cannabis industry. Each week, we will discuss empowerment, leadership, and what it means to be a woman in charge in marijuana, hemp, and CBD. As the founder of the Women Empowered in Cannabis community, I have had the great pleasure to get to know many brilliant and talented women who are CEOs, executives, politicians, advocates, and community leaders that are focused on creating a cannabis economy that is just, fair, and equal. We'll learn how these women make decisions, how they navigate a predominantly male industry, and what they're doing to level the playing field for women. I hope you'll join us.